there is no path that doesn't come along with pain, right? The pain is inevitable. So are you going to choose the pain that actually makes you feel meaning and purpose and that you're growing? Or are you going to choose the pain of your comfort zone? Which it turns out at the end of most people's lives that that's the biggest pain is that they stayed in the comfort zones. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Hello, my friends. We're so glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. If you are new, welcome. If you are not almost 30... If you're old as hell. You're totally fine. <laughs> we sent out an email recently and we had new subscribers from a partnership that we did with an amazing brand. And we got like three emails that were like, I'm not almost 30. That's so sweet. So sweet. <laughs> She's like, I'm almost 47. I know. I was like, welcome to the fam. Welcome to the fam. <laughs> uh, Lindsay and I started this when we were transitioning from our 20s to our 30s. And we felt like we needed support, community answers. And now it's turned into so much more than that. So we provide tools, resources, insights to navigate transitions in your life. And serious laughs. And serious laughs. So I think it's serious lulls. Serious lulls. Well, because it is like the, there are, I think the most uh, serious and maybe dramatic points of those transitions there are like a lot of laughs there that we don't give ourselves yeah. <laughs> permission to actually indulge in. The space too. So we're here to laugh about it, but also follow it up with some tactical things and just a community to support you through it. Yeah, we like that balance. Mm -hmm. There was actually a post yesterday that we got tagged in from our sweet community that made me lull a little bit because it was like backhanded. <laughs> I keep getting those. I keep seeing the backhanded where it's like, I think they're kind of stupid, but they surprise me each time. Uh, it's really, it's really sweet. This podcast is to me what I hope this can be to others. They tackle everything from shrooms and ayahuasca to pooping and living in their most authentic selves. <laughs> is that and living in their poop. Funny? But you know, we say one thing, I want one poop and they're like, damn, they talk about poop. I mean, I know. I don't think, I, I'm trying to think. I always, when we're thinking about content for the future, I know there's so many things that we haven't talked about, but I'm like, what have we not talked about? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's so much, but yeah. I just, I think we've covered a lot thus far. I, I agree. Unafraid. As far as like human evolution. I've actually been thinking recently about a lot of episodes that I want to revisit at some mm -hmm. point and, and uh, re-release re re and bring into the conversation again. Completely. Like the one with Dan Savage, I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, Dan Savage of Savage Love Cast mm. came on. We interviewed him when we were in Seattle in person, actually, probably two or a year ago, a year and a half ago. And that one was really powerful. And there's just a lot that it needs to it needs to be really grounded in again. 
Because I, sometimes I think the conversations that we're having and a lot of other podcasters too are like the world is kind of catching up. So it's like to bring them back would feel really good. It's so funny you said Dan Savage. I was reading this book last night. Some thought, some thoughts on relationships or something like that. Oh, You're wow. like, do you want me to read this or not? Literally. <laughs> like and, the title's like, you could read this or not, whatever. <laughs> it's like, hey. just some thoughts. <laughs> and Dan Savage was quoted. I was like, oh shit. Ah. Yeah, and he... It was referencing the camp, the campsite policy, where you leave someone better than when you left him, met them. Oh. You know, so not like blowing up and like just damaging people in relationship, and then leaving and leaving them. So I thought that was so interesting. I don't, I don't do that, and I really haven't experienced it that much, but I, I've, I've been witness to that, and that's just such an a cool policy to instate. Wow. I love that. <laughs> Leave someone better than when you first met them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Or just like, don't damage them. Wow. Don't freaking litter everywhere or shit in the tent. Yeah. I mean, you know, people don't do that consciously. A lot of the times, you know, they're playing of course. out subconscious reprogramming. I definitely remember one, one relationship before I met Justin where I was like, oh, I'm really just like, he's my student. Mm. You know, we do all these like, these practices that I restarted. Like classes in session. Honestly, like every night I'd be like, we're going to do our gratitudes. We're going to do all this stuff. And like, at the end I was kind of like, this is gross. <laughs> yeah. It just felt like it's hard not to want to, cause we know how good we feel when we do X, Y, mm-hmm. and Z. And it's hard not to be like, Hey, try this. I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Let me know how you feel. I actually secretly love that about Justin, that he doesn't want to do everything I want to do. Mm-hmm. He's actually, most things he says no first. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we got in a fight about the um, what comes out of phones. Oh, the radiation, EMFs. EMFs and radiation again. Oh, I thought he was all about it. No, he sleeps with his phone. Like <gasps> he has a he's a phone he's a phone before bed person. Oh right, right. okay, yeah. yeah, I knew that, but <gasps> I, I, I just I just didn't I know believe he sl- it. He slept with it though. He sleeps at like right next to him. Yeah. So he he falls asleep to his phone, which is you know he's in love to anyone that falls mm-hmm. asleep to their phone. But I don't want the phone next to my head as far as EMS. It's just too close. close. For that much long of time. Yeah. You know, so, but hey, that's my life. It's my cross to bear. (laughs) You should build a wall in your bed. I I put a pillow wall up. (laughs) He puts a pillow wall up for my breath and I put it up for the EMS. (laughs) I'm like, this is love. Which is worse. Honestly. (laughs) Which is more damaging. He's like, wow, you're so rustic this morning. (laughs) But I actually noticed, and this is the thing, when I was uh, eating too late, I would have bad breath. Oh yeah. Because my body wasn't fully digesting everything until the morning. So now when I finish my meals around six, I'm fine. Yeah. But eating late is like not my jam. No. And we've had like some things at night lately and I've been, it's been hard to kind of, cause I always want to like slow down for dinner and I don't want to eat too quickly before the event. So I usually wait till after and yeah, it doesn't feel amazing. Yeah. At all. Lindsay and I were actually at a, an event last night with Hum, mm-hmm. which was awesome. It's for their new Mighty Night uh, supplement. And um, one of the things that was really interesting, they had a sleep doctor uh, join and speak to the audience and people that were there who will probably potentially have on. Um, his name was Michael Bruce, B-R-E-U-S. He actually has a book out called 
um, the power of when. And he was one of the one things that I really took away from the points that he hit related to sleep was the importance of getting up at the same time each day. So he was less stressed about when you went to bed, even if you went to bed very much later where you wouldn't get the full eight hours that you should be really focused on making that same time wake up your priority and you will feel a lot better. And he actually spoke to the fact that eight hours is a myth that 7.5 or seven and a half hours is really what we should be aiming for, but it's really, really personal to you and your needs. Yeah. 7.5 because the complete cycle is 90 minutes and five of those is like the goal. Yeah. Five 90 minute cycles. So basically what he said was your, your wake up time that you want to wake up consistently, you backtrack seven and a half hours ideally. Yeah. 450 minutes divided by 60, Mm -hmm. 450 minutes divided by 60 is 7.5. Yeah. So the amount of cycles. Mm Mm-hmm. 90 or 60. Yep. So it's five cycles of 90, which is 450 minutes. I'm so good at math. (laughs) Divided by 60 minutes is 7.5 hours. Okay. Yeah. I believe you. I can't do the math. I need like nine or I need like eight or nine. I love a long, long night's sleep. I do too. I usually get up at like 545 to six, but I do like to go to bed early. What's messing me up right now is that it's not light early. So Mm -hmm. I woke up at six this morning it was still dark. And I was like, oh man, I don't like this at all. Actually. I know. Because the circadian rhythm, like the sooner you can get in the sunlight, that's also what he recommended, getting in the sunlight as soon as possible in the morning so it can reset your your circadian rhythm. And it helped when like finally the sun came out and I was like outside. I was like, okay. Yeah. And it was interesting it. too, when they were talking about Mighty Night. So you guys know we love Om Nutrition. We've been working with them for a really long time. What I really like about them is their commitment to... Um, uh, having clean, like actually their efficacy related to the ingredients in their products. And their Mighty Night is really interesting. They actually did studies against the generic form of Ambien to help people fall asleep with Mighty Night. And the ingredients are like passion flower, valerian root, um, hops, hops, mm-hmm. a uh, a type of co- CoQ10 that is more directly absorbed by your system. So whatever is in it, it actually was comparable and almost better than using the generic form of Ambien in the cases that they and did their it's all natural. Yeah. Yeah. It's good for your skin and sleep. I took it last night. I felt great. Oh, you did? Yeah. I'm loving it. I know. Feel good. <laughs> feel good. I'm, I'm just excited. excited to see that skin glow mm-hmm. even more of a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a really great event. That was a, like a, an event that I was really engaged with. Yeah. <laughs> we go to a lot of events. So, you know, but I really, I thought it was so thoughtful. Yeah. And I just really liked. They had a, that tarot reader too. What was her name? Oh yeah. How was it? She was great. Cool. It was cool. Cause, but nowadays I really know what's going on. Yeah. And I'm saying that in quotes, you know, I don't know everything, but I feel comfortable with what's happening, I guess. So it wasn't very profound. Yeah. But it was funny. I got the upside down star a lot which means what she said was really good. She's like, you just need to wait for things to happen, but next year is going to be really big for you. Yeah. Like all of these things. And what she was also saying is that you need to make sure that you're really enjoying the process, which is like really yeah. true. And then she was like, so said something about Justin. And as soon as I was like, oh yeah, I have, I'm with someone. And she pulled the soulmate card. It's cute. Oh, that's literally as soon as we said it, the soulmate card came up. She's like, I've never seen so many face cards. She's like, you didn't get really get any like pentacles or anything like that. I always get like face cards that are like sun star. Wow. Like all of those are usually what I I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. 
but it was good. She was really good. Cool. Yeah. I love, I love I a know. little pull. A lot of the girls in line had never done tarot. Oh yeah. They're like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I know the girl's like, wow, what did you think? That was incredible. I'm like, yeah, it was great. <laughs> we do it too much. We do it too much. <laughs> well, I just, I, yeah, it's, it's powerful and profound, but I could change whatever they read anyways. Mm-hmm my free will allows me to alter yeah. the course of whatever they're reading. Mm-hmm. And so I also live in that. I live in that truth of whatever they've, they've read that is currently written and that is coming through. But I also read that I could change whatever's going to happen. Yeah. You know, my free, free will allows me to like engage with that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. That's what people have to remember when they do any sort of reading. Free will. I'm so excited to talk about the Stewart event. Oh man. You so- guys know I was pumped to have Stuart Pierce a part of our tour. We had never, we had never done a live event with him before. And so we, we hosted this event. It was actually our, our last event in New York at the assemblage, uh, on John street, which is just a curated space that is so special to us and really provides like this container for really powerful discussions and workshops and connections. So thank you to the assemblage. That was incredible. But Stuart Pierce, y'all, holy moly. Holy mackerel. People didn't even know what was happening. They're like, wow. I had a, I just have to say before we go into it, I had a pre-call with him just a couple of days before and you know, I was a little nervous just because he's so powerful. I, he makes me nervous too. And I was talking about, you know, kind of how the event will flow just logistically. And I said, you know, we really want you to feel good about your your section of the event and whatever you want to do, whether it's interview style or you just go and run with it. And he goes, well, um, I've been doing events for 40 years. So I just kind of get up there and I, I just do what moves me. And I said, perfect. Perfect. Great. A dream. It was, he, I just we loved talking, the unattachment. He was to it. a foot away from us, ready to, for us to get up the stage. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. Me and Lizzie I were, we had him. a little bit of a longer kind of time at the beginning and he yeah. was ready to rock. I, but I also felt the support. It was, it was. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was kind of like this. He One, he was so excited. He works with like the most incredible people on the planet doing all mm-hmm. these things. He's worked with Princess Diana, Marianne Williamson, Hillary Clinton, all these people and leaders in the world. And he's like, he's just cheering us on. And I, I just, know. I felt so, I felt so good and so full, but yeah, he was ready. And I also think he was, re- he told me, he's like, I'm really going to read the room in terms of like tap in and feel what's going on. So maybe that was part of it too, but he took the stage and wow. Wow. Channeled for like an hour. Channeled for an hour. And it was really cool because he went into like, where language comes from and the origins of it and the importance of it and how in the Roman text, they talked a lot about voice alchemy and the importance of having a resounding tone, a powerful like depth to your speech and how that was very like, how that was very much a spiritual thing. And I think we've been so disconnected from that. And three of the words that he said that I really loved were gravity, truth, and devotion. And he kept saying gravity, truth and devotion. And I felt like those three words are so powerful. Mm -hmm. Like you feel the heaviness of those words in like a very profound way. Gravity gives it gravity, but truth and devotion are like, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The word, I feel like we've been hearing the word gravity 
more often is that feeling of like, because I think the work to, in this case, find your true tone is very, for me, like ethereal and kind of out of body and connected to source. But like the, the thought of gravity like pulls you back down to the earth so that you can kind of navigate mm. this plane with that voice. And, and it, it just reminds you that you have a body. It reminds you of a lot of things, but yeah. Yeah, those words are so, so powerful. And then the one quote that he said that I thought was really profound I wanted to share with you guys was from Rumi. If words arise from the heart, they reach the heart. If words arise from the heart, they reach the heart. So when speaking with someone you love, you know, if your words are coming from a place, a heart-centered place, then they will reach a heart-centered place. And I feel like I can definitely tell that in conversations of any kind. Mm -hmm. And it, and that's when a lot of times if I'm meeting people that are within our community or not at events or whatever, I am really, really impacted in a deep way with each conversation, mm -hmm. but especially those that have reached a heart-centered place that feel really sticky for me that I can really tap into from a, an emotional level and kind of get there with them because it feels like it is touching my heart in such a profound way. Yes. I almost feel it physically. Like sometimes my... I'll notice either in my eye, like, you know, when we put tension in our forehead or in our eyes or whatever, it's like, I'm thinking too hard. And if I just allow one that to relax, and then it's almost like it just trickles down to the heart space. And it's just so much bigger. Like, I feel like when I'm in my head, it feels narrow. It feels like headachey and just like uh, strained. And then yeah. you just let it trickle down. So it is like a physical, for me, like a physical tell in those moments. And two, like with speaking to, you know, people who come out to the events afterwards, the community, it's, I've noticed, cause it's always a, a practice cause there's so much going on. So, you know, we do want to get to that communicating from that heart space always. And it is the slowing down and letting them know because automatically people think we don't have time. We don't have time. I'll make this quick. And yeah. the slowing down and just kind of like, it's the breathing too with another person so that they know you're not in a rush. You don't need to get to the next thing really allows like the heart thing to happen where it's like this exchange. So that's been really cool to feel and allow myself to feel Yeah, and the other to feel. Yeah. It's been powerful too. You know, the girls in our community are really just fucking doing it. Like mm -hmm. and men this time around. And men, we had a lot of men. Holy moly. Holy mackerel. Justin actually went to a female empowerment event for one of his coworkers the other night. <laughs> Sweet. Oh my God. I was dying. I'm Did like, he mean to? I know he always honestly, means. Honestly, so like there's a woman, she's a, she's a <laughs> VP at his, his work. She's in marketing and she's like, I'm speaking at this event tonight. And Justin just went to support her mm -hmm. and was the only guy in the whole room. Love it. And they were like, see, he's an ally. He's like, <laughs> like, you know, men talking about men. They're like, but we have him in the room. He's an ally. Just, it's like totally. <laughs> oh my God. But the, yeah. But then he said he actually felt, he was like, oh, I felt good. You know, I wanted to support, but I also, there was also a moment where a woman on stage goes, but you shouldn't even come if you're not going to bring all of your friends. Ooh. Interesting. Okay. Which is, and for Justin, he does not like attention. So I know I was going to say that just made me feel very uncomfortable. For, first of all, for someone to say something good, he's uncomfortable. For someone to say something bad, he's very uncomfortable because his intention is, is good. 
good. He just wants to support his coworker. I think she could have said that differently. hundred percent. I think I she just, could have said, I love that you're here. And like, I encourage you, like, if we do this again, I want you back and bring your friends. Also, like, people should go to things at their free fucking will, though. I know. What are you going to do? Drag all your friends and they're pissed? People will come to things when they're ready. However that, however that, that lands. Yeah. You know, it's like, even if that wasn't just, I'd just be like, anybody, you know, you wouldn't want to say, you wouldn't want to single anyone out and be like, you shouldn't come unless your friends are here. Anybody. Oh, I don't like that. I know. Anyways. Back to Stuart. Back to Stu. What I loved too, and it, this is just a comment on the like the music he was creating in the room, and this was kind of like a wow, selfish yes. observation because you know we're speaking a bit more, and you know I want we want to create like a a really powerful music in the room with our voices, with with the message, with the intention, and he he really just rides that wave and and allows it to channel through. And not only the tone of his voice, the cadence, the volume, the direction, you know? So sometimes it would be a wide angle projection and then it would be more directed. It was just like this really cool orchestration. <laughs> I don't even know if he knows he was doing it, but it just felt, I was I was in it from beginning to end. Like truly in it from beginning to Everybody end. Everybody was. People they really in New York were. City were coming from their jobs and singing. <laughs> yeah. Like people weren't like, oh, but it was like. We did a. Uh, a, a tonal. Ch- a tonal, almost like a chant. Yes. It was an ohm, um, but he, there was no preface to it. Literally no preparation. Like, okay, so now we are going to do this. We just went fucking straight into. And everyone oh. did it. <laughs> and it was. Awesome. It was beautiful. It was so yeah. cool. Yeah, people was, like, when do people do that? It felt really good. I don't think people understand how good it feels to yes. actually let a sound vibrate in your body because most people are holding back on what they want to say. So even like I live alone, so this is easy for me, but like in my bed at night, I'll just do like, we'll do our sighs that are annoying, but like holding that out and letting it go. Oh. That feels so good. <laughs> feels amazing. Uh, from Stuart, just I'll leave you guys with this. This is from Stuart's website on the voice of change. The voice of change speaks, shouts, or cries out with a gusto that evolves courage and determination, finding its breath ways to express personal sovereignty. The voice of change sounds our world into existence. The voice of change does not mumble or murmur. It resonates with the force that arises from deep inside, accumulated through years of plummeting the deep pools of our consciousness and expressing the conviction that lies therein a truth which is most credible, most raw, most vital, and most beautiful about who we are and how our soul breathes. Bye-bye. Put that on my tombstone. See ya. Wow, that's beautiful. You should, that, we'll, we'll link that blog post yes. on the website, but it talks a lot about what exactly is the voice of change when Lindsay and I are talking about that as it relates to the, ses- to the session and to Stuart. So yeah, it was awesome. So thank you, New York, mm-hmm. for coming to that. It was so special. Thank you to the Assemblage Highly recommend them as a wellness co-working space. They have three beautiful locations across the city. They provided amazing food, elixirs. They have mm-hmm. meditation rooms, soma domes. They're just really thoughtful and kind. So we we love working with them and highly recommend you checking them out if you are in the city. Yes. Thank you all so much. And we are on tour still until the end of the year having a freaking blast and we can't wait to meet you. So if you are 
in we're coming up, we're going to be in Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. So please grab your tickets for that. They're almost sold out. So grab those. We will be in Australia and Melbourne and Sydney the second half of November. And then we will be back for our live show in Los Angeles. We want to see you at that live show. So if you're in LA, December 7th, please, please come. Dynasty Typewriter Theater at the Hayworth. And then we will be in Miami after that. So... Miami, baby. Here we go. Clubbing. Clubbing. The event is a club. It's a club night. That's all. We're going to wear our um, bandage dresses. Oh, can't wait. And those platform heels, patent leather platform heels. Got them. Got (laughs) them. You can find all information, almost30podcast.com slash tour. And... I think that's I think that's it. Yeah. That's so it. today today we're really excited. We had the pleasure of interviewing Kathy Heller on the podcast and yo, she just makes me laugh. Not only is, it, is she inspiring, but she just makes me laugh. She walked in to the studio and it was so funny cuz I'm we have a bunch of tour stuff in here. She goes, "Are you guys moving?" Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I just love her like there's no filter in a yep. very beautiful way. She's the best. Like truly the best. So smart. Her podcast is amazing. She speaks with like world changing leaders mm-hmm. and she just has a really, really beautiful way of getting straight to the heart of what the conversation is about, what is helpful for the listener. And I just love to be around her. I loved our conversation. Yeah. Her podcast is Don't Keep Your Day Job. So you can find more info, don'tkeepyourdayjob.com. But I, I loved her story and kind of like the evolution of, of, uh, who she's been and and how she's become this incredibly successful coach and podcast host. For a large part of her career, she was a singer-songwriter. So I just loved how she dove into those different aspects of her journey, made it really relatable. And we were on her podcast. So check that episode out. Don't Keep Your Day Job is her podcast. It's incredible. And we hope you love this one. This one's really, really inspirational. So if it resonates with you, share it with others. That means the world to us. Yeah, we'll see you on tour. And thank you so much, Kathy. Enjoy this one. Do you like the sound of your voice? Like, what are your thoughts on hearing your voice? People always ask us that. As a podcaster. Yeah, it's okay. It's never really what I think it sounds like. Mm. Yeah, I think I sound like Jessica Rabbit. Hopefully. But no, I sound like I think your voice is super soothing on your pod and it's not in a way that that is annoying. Yeah. That is so sweet. It's very important. (laughs) I do get a lot of people saying like, could you slow down? Like I I talk really fast. Oh. People think that that's whatever. But okay. Thanks. Wow. Actually, I did want to ask and maybe it just fits now. Like there's so much feedback when you put out like a podcast, when you put out your own stuff. And I think especially in the podcasting space, because people can comment and anonymously, quote unquote, like, how do you take that? Yeah. Some of it stings. Yeah. But I feel like, I feel very blessed not to sound like a jerk, but I do feel blessed because we have over like 3,100 reviews or something, which is so kind. And like the the vast majority of them are really, really nice things. People are like, this changed my life. But it is amazing how there's like 3,000 positive ones and there's like 83, 83 people in the world who cannot stand I me. love that you know that number. <laughs> would, that's exactly the point. I know. And yeah, I do it is know the it. point. And I, it does feel devastating sometimes when you read people's words. Yeah. And I think that people should hear that though, because I do feel like there's this misconception that once you're doing something like this, or you've, you look like you've arrived, or by the way, I'm so 
on the way. Like, I don't think I've arrived, but when you have some kind of success, people think, oh, she won't take that badly or, oh, she's in the ring. So now it's our chance. We can heckle her and she doesn't feel it. And it's like, I'm just a girl standing in front of a guy asking her to let remember that from nodding. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just a person. Yeah. And so I do have moments where I will read things and be like, I oh, forget, I'm not going to ever do this again. And then yeah. four minutes later, I'm like, well, that's probably stupid. But I, of course it affects me. I wish it, de- I wish it didn't. But it does. Do you ever hear anything and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. I should probably work on that. Yeah, I do also feel like that because I want to grow. And so I teach my audience that we should think about what other people need. I think that radical empathy is 100% what's needed in a thriving relationship or business, which business is a relationship. So I don't really... Uh, scoff it off. I look and see if there's anything consistent. And if there is, I'll be like, oh, you know, they're right. You know, there are too many ads. Get rid of those. Or, oh, you know, they're right. It's, uh, you know, maybe I should talk less. They, they want to hear the guests more or whatever they're, you know, they're mm-hmm. saying. But typically, by and large, thankfully, it seems like it's working. But, but I think the reason it's working is because every show, my number one priority is what are the pain points of my listener? So of course I should care about the feedback. And I do, but then I guess there's a balance, right? Because if there's just a few nasty apples and everybody else is really happy, then I guess that also is feedback, right? Yeah, mm. yeah, it's a balance. It's this whole being an entrepreneur thing is not for the faint of heart. Like it's really not. People think it's a whole thing. It yeah. really is a whole thing. It's a lot more of an internal battle than I would have ever thought. And I think when you, when I was in the corporate, you know, my corporate job for eight years or whatever. There was a lot of internal struggles that I, I dealt with, you know, in my understanding of relationships at work and and how like hierarchies work and just how could I be myself in a corporate environment? How could I be creative? How could I be the person that I felt like I should be? All of these things. But when you're an entrepreneur, it's like every decision you live and die by, it feels like. It feels like there's a deep, immense pressure for you to make the right decision at all times to... And and you steer the ship, you know, you are part of the ship that is being steered and it's just, it's, it's scary. Yeah. And I think that probably the main difference is because you are the brand, right? It's you. So unlike sitting at a desk and building someone else's dream in corporate, this is you. And like the last few days I was recording my audiobook actually, and I was sitting there really sort of metabolizing what it is that I'm saying in this book. And it dawned on me, I came home and said to my husband, I'm like, you realize that I'm not preaching or pleading with people to have a new career. I'm really earnestly begging people to fall in love and fall back in alignment with themselves. And so this idea of don't keep your day job, this whole thing I'm doing is about finding your work where you wake up and you go, this is the click. This is me in my gut knowing I am in alignment where my soul can dance. And so, of course, what you just said is at stake because you're not really looking for the zeros in the bank account to add up. You're looking for, you know, is this the moment where I actually feel like the person who was created to be me is now actually doing what I'm supposed to do? At least for me. I mean, I feel like that's what all of us who have our own business are striving for. Everyone who I've interviewed, 
whether it's Bobby Brown or Jonathan Adler or Howard Schultz, it's really not about, if you want to make money, you could just go into real estate. You definitely shouldn't listen to my podcast or read my book. Like if all you're really curious about is just making money, there's so many faster ways. But if you're building something, then this is really like your rite of passage to somehow figure out how to live life on your terms and do the stuff that you know is whispering to you. And so it's so much more than a business, you know, and, and that makes it both exciting and scary and we're so much more vulnerable. So every decision does feel like we need to kind of check in. We were talking about yesterday, just like the humans, especially in this day and age, like resistance to feeling uncomfortable or in pain or just kind of be like, uh, like giving up and turning around rather right. than being with it. And I just think about that a lot with entrepreneurship, with creativity, with starting something because every day isn't going to be like, oh my God, I'm living my passion and my right. dream. It's right. like, yeah. there are some really hard days and some days where you just like produce some shit like that oh, you yeah. probably won't ever use. I mean, 100%. but I would love for you to speak on that and how you've experienced that and what what it really looks like day to day. Because I think sometimes people get tripped up because entrepreneurship is so can be so isolating and lonely. They're sitting in the, and they're like, I don't think it's supposed to be like this. Right. Maybe this isn't for me. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I feel like everyone who's listening and everyone on the planet by the time you're like six or eight, for sure by the time you're 11, like you've gotten your heart broken. Either you suffer like a major loss or you had a big rejection. Like it's just called being on the planet. So I think what happens is we devise a plan where we're like, I think I know what I'm going to do. It's really going to be smart. Like I won't actually want anything because I will never get hurt. Mm. So I won't make art because no one, no one can criticize it if I don't make it. And I'll tell myself, I don't really want to be an artist. I actually don't want to do any of that. So I'm fine. And I don't really want to be in love either because I'm actually fine. So I'm fine is actually a really big lie. And it's because we don't want to be in pain. So we should probably stop first and congratulate and like pull over to the side of the road and like look at yourself and be like, you, you've like survived, you know, a lot, tremendous amounts, right? So you've been through the hardest stuff, but everything that you want is going to be on the other side of not just being afraid and doing it anyway. But one thing that I love, I come back to it Almost every day, I repeat this quote. Seth Godin was on my podcast and he said, in order to make brilliant things, you have to have the courage to make mediocre things. And Ed Sheeran talks about this too. Like He's like, you know, people look at me and they think I just was born Mozart. Like I just write one number one single after the other. And it's so not the case, right? Like just like, it took Serena Williams and Fred Astaire all those hours to become a master mm -hmm. in their field. It was the same thing for me. And I wrote dozens and dozens of crappy songs. 
And he said, it's sort of like when you go to like a log cabin because you're going to go skiing with your friends and no one's been in the cabin for like four months and you go to turn on the faucet and the water doesn't come out clear. It's like sludgy water because the faucet needs to be turned on. And it only takes like eight seconds and then it starts to get clearer. And then you're like, we're good. And we can boil some water. We can like make some ravioli. We can take a shower. We're fine. It just took like a little time to push through the sludgy water. And I thought that was such a great analogy. He's like, that's called becoming great, right? Like you're going to have to make the sludgy brown water. And another good example of that is Andy Warhol. Someone just told me the story that he used to light his work on fire. And he had an assistant at the time who was like trying to take stuff out of the dumpster. And he screamed at her, do not touch it. It's garbage. And she's like, no, no, it's really not. And for him, it was garbage because he was on his way to the Campbell Soup Cans and the Marilyn Monroe and he wasn't there yet. And I think for people who become great, not good, but great, The first thing I think if I see someone talented like at the Hollywood Bowl or I see some incredible person opening a bakery or anything, even any entrepreneur, right? Elon Musk, any, any, in any, in any sector, I don't just think like, oh, they're super talented and that's where it ends. I, I give them credit for being so courageous. Like, no, a lot of people have talent. Like, let's not kid ourselves. I know a lot of people who have talent. And I'm like, so what? It's actually not the factor at stake. It's, do you have the courage to sit through the mediocrity and keep showing up? And a friend of mine just said to me the other night, it was so kind of her. Because like, every person wants to feel like you see them. And most people, you know, lately, I either have friends who are like, that's awesome. Good for you. And I can tell they're being kind or some are jealous or you lose friends or it's all interesting as you grow what happens. But once in a while, people are like, it's really cool. Like, congrats, you know, you're doing all these things. But she said, I just look at you and I think how fearless you are. I'm like, really? Why? She's like, because I know that even when you feel like throwing up, you keep going. I'm like, you get it. Mm -hmm. Yes. So there's no problem with you if you're not making perfect things. There's no person who does that. And there's something wrong with you because you're not. I think that imposter syndrome is really fascinating because there's this thing called pluralistic ignorance where we look around and we surmise falsely that the reason why other people are successful, like Beyonce, she's got it going on, all these people is because they're actually flawless, right? Because we know ourselves super intimately. We know our own like neuroses and the way that we self-sabotage ourselves. We don't know them that way. So we think, oh God, well, that's the reason I'll, I'll never get there. And that's why they did because they are not imperfect and I am. So I have all these impediments, but it's actually not true. Like every person is dealing with the same stuff. You know, they might look like, they're telling you one story on Instagram, but they're not. So I think, I think, yeah, I think that goes back to the very first sentence of your question, which is we don't want to feel our feelings. But the truth is you have to choose the hard and it's going to be hard 
avoiding your feelings and trying to live a, there is no path that doesn't come along with pain, right? The pain is inevitable. So are you going to choose the pain that actually makes you feel meaning and purpose and that you're growing? Or are you going to choose the pain of your comfort zone? Which it turns out at the end of most people's lives that that's the biggest pain is that they stayed in the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we have to learn to tolerate being uncomfortable and we can if we just can come up with some ways of feeling our feelings, there's so many ways to actually like tolerate it. It's, it's not going to kill you just because it hurts. Just let it, let it actually in my, my teacher, I'll just end with this and going on and on. I should have a podcast. Oh yeah. Should, um, should. <laughs> I talk a lot, but my teacher, my mindfulness teacher used to say feelings are like visitors. And basically they knock on the door and they keep knocking until you let them in. And then when you let them in, they're visitors. So some visitors stay for the hour. Sometimes they stay overnight, but they do leave. So part of it is just like learn to let it in and not resist it. Pain comes from resistance, right? When you're doing those resistance machines at the gym, the resistance is what hurts. If you actually go, boy, I'm feeling so anxious right now. It actually feels okay. It's not gone, but it's we have such a capacity to handle the things that we feel if we actually just let ourselves be with them rather than trying to push them away. And yeah, that's called being on the planet. There's no way around that. Beautifully said. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is the importance of micro actions that can help you to familiarize yourself with discomfort and with things that are hard and with pain, whether it's physical things, even through working out, you know, that's like a small action that people can take to make themselves a little uncomfortable every day that it can help them build that muscle of having something be uncomfortable, having something be hard, getting through it, seeing the benefits of it. Because if we're not doing things that are making us uncomfortable, I think people think, all right, I need to bungee jump. I need to quit my job. I need to do the extremes. But it's all the micro actions of that that really, really matter. A hundred percent. I totally agree with that. You know, if you look at water and you see water that's not moving, it's like sitting in its comfort zone, like in a pond, it's poison. You can't drink it. Yep. You probably shouldn't swim in it. You see water that's like moving and constantly pushing it like in a river. Not only is it not poisonous, but it's actually life-giving, right? Like you mm-hmm. could drink from that water and it's a rush. Mm-hmm. And so human beings really, it's actually not pain. That's our biggest, like, you know, hurdle. Aversion. It's really, the thing that actually causes us the most pain is a, is a lack of feeling like purpose and contribution and meaning yeah. Yeah. and we want to grow. So we need that. That's part of the oxygen. That's part of how we were built. So what we're really seeking is that feeling, even though okay, it feels like jumping out of an airplane when you're doing that micro, you know, maybe it's something small, like you're sending this person an email and sharing the first chapter of your book and you're so scared to show it to anyone, but that feels like jumping out of a plane, but that is the best thing for you in that moment. Like at any moment in time, every person has like that point. Picture like a, a frequency of light. At any point in, in your life, there's like a point that's like your point of free will. We're like, this is the thing that you, it might seem small to someone else. It's huge for you. And if you can do that one thing, 
that's like such a game changer, right? And that might mean for someone just admitting that they're not fine, starting to admit that, yeah, like that they're not okay with watching Netflix and going to this nine to five. They might be past that now and their point might be just sort of, you know, dusting off the potter's wheel and sitting down. I had Lisa Loeb on my podcast and she was talking about how for years after her song was the number one single, I, she actually just tweeted that it was like, I think an anniversary of that. It was like 20, 20 or 25 years ago, that song uh, from Reality Bites. And she went years without looking at her guitar because it just like made her feel so inadequate because she couldn't after she had two number one singles back to back and then couldn't write a good song or so she thought. So she just walked away from it. And she's like, I would walk past it in the living room, would just like stare at me and make me feel so small. So a big jumping out of an airplane moment for her was when she just decided to pick up the guitar again and just let herself not make something perfect and do it anyway, right? So the, and those things are exhilarating for us because it's like, we're finally back home, like arriving at our own door, like, oh, welcome back, you know? So yeah, I mean, we all need to be asking ourselves, like, when was the last time you felt like your soul was singing and dancing and alive? And you always know the answer to that. That's mm-hmm. the thing. People will always, I don't know, is such a limiting belief because it's not true. Every time I sit down with someone and they were looking for coaching and they want me to give them the answer to their purpose, I'm like, you know, right? Let's talk about it. You know, if you didn't, you know, have anyone telling you what to do, what would you do voluntarily with your time? What did you love to do when you were eight? Oh, well, it's not realistic. It's ridiculous that you would even say, there's no way I can make a living at it. But um, I love children's literature. Okay, so keep going with that. You know, what do you love about it? Do you love sharing it with other people? Do you love writing it? And what do you love about it? Like the I don't know is really so helpful for people because it's like, I would do the thing. I just don't know what it is. And then all those other limiting beliefs become really helpful excuses, right? Like, of course I would follow my dream, but I don't have the money. It's not my fault. As if, and then your brain goes, right, that's a fact. As if you need money to follow your dream, right? And we believe that. Or of course I would do that, but I don't live in the right city. You're right. You don't, as if that, like, it's like none of these things mean anything, right? Our greatest resource is our own resourcefulness and like the things you have inside of you, your empathy, your passion. Do you know that the the thing that lights up strongest in the brain, it's not even love, it's enthusiasm. That's Mm -hmm. like the strongest feeling. When someone walks in the room who's enthusiastic, everyone is all in. It doesn't matter if you hate Bon Jovi, if they're like super psyched about Bon Jovi, you're like ready to go to the next concert. (laughs) It is so infectious. So when people start giving all the reasons, I don't know what I want, I don't have the money, I don't have the time, I don't whatever it is, it's like, I think you just need a little enthusiasm, right? And then it's like, well, how do we get that? And that's, that's actually not so hard. And permission to be enthusiastic. I think sometimes people feel weird if like they're, like you said before, you know, if they, if they believe that their passion or their idea is 
too out in left field, too weird, not something that they could quote unquote scale. Like they just, I don't know, it dims any enthusiasm. So for those for those people who have these really niche ideas, have these like dreams that, you know, I, I was listening to a recent podcast of yours and I guess the example was about like maple syrup or something like that. Like where you kind of help, you're like, I love maple syrup. I want to create a business around maple syrup and curating whatever. So like, what, what do you suggest people do to find that momentum and enthusiasm to really cultivate a community around that niche thing that you love and are passionate about? Yeah. I love the question because I've been working on this for the last like 16 years. And so I love that I actually have an answer to that. Because I feel like along the way, people would ask me that I would want to have an answer, but now I do. So it feels like life-giving that I can give someone some direction. So first of all, most people build businesses backwards and that's why they don't work. I said before that the number one thing in any business is radical empathy. Business is the ultimate relationship because it's a relationship with many, many people and this thing that you created for them. And most people don't really get that. So the difference between a hobby and a business is that a hobby is something you like doing And it doesn't matter if someone else likes it or not. It's not part of the equation. If they happen to, it's fine. A business means someone's paying me money, right? And money is just a piece of paper that we put value on. So it really means someone's giving me value, which they hope to exchange for like value. So a business means other people value what I do, which means... If it's a business and I care about being able to make this a business, I need to care that other people value this thing. So if you're starting, instead of starting in your own head, thinking about maple syrup in your room and coming up with an entire website or an app or a store on your own in the ivory tower, on up in the, you know, up in the tower on your own, and then putting it out in the world and going, why didn't anyone come? You want to first start with the person that it's for. Who is this for, right? Who is this for? And what do they want? And what do they need? And what's going to make this feel to them like they're being seen? Everyone wants to feel seen. Anthropology is like a master. I, the clothes, not to diss them, they're not well made. Like they, they rip, but they have focused so hard on that girl who walks in that store. They know what she likes to smell. They know the music to play. So they make her feel seen. Mm. Any business you love, whether it's the yoga class you go to, whether it's the coffee shop you decide to become a frequent uh, you know, patron at, it's because somewhere in that business ex- the experience, you're like, this is for me. They got it. This is the reason I go to this person for this because this is my person, okay? So people will literally shoot themselves in the foot because they will be thinking about like, it has to be this huge thing and I have to go ahead and like, you know, build it all out before I've actually validated the concept and built this for five human beings who want this. So it starts with, okay, who is my target person? 
is it a man? Is it a woman? Is it men and women? How old are they? Where do they live? Does that matter? Right? Because if I was making clothes for, it would matter if it was for like a woman or a child, right? Matter. And it would also matter the price point then. And it would also matter if these are women who live in the Midwest or women who live in the Bahamas, right? It would matter the, the, the type of fabric, right? It would be different. It would not be wool if they live in South Florida, but it probably would be if they live in Minnesota. And again, it depends, right? What's the whole, who is she and what does she want? And therefore, is it like free people clothes or is it more like Tory Burch or is it like Ted Baker? Like who is the woman who's buying this? What's it for? So if you're making this thing about maple syrup because you love maple syrup, fine. So who's in your audience? And you might be like, well, that's the problem, Kath. I don't have an audience yet. Oh, but they're out. Your audience exists, right? Like the people who would fit that, they already do exist. So do you have three friends who you went to camp with and you all love maple syrup? Because ask them, are you making something for moms? Are you making a yoga class for moms? You know, three moms, they might not be in your audience, but they are your audience. So ask them, try it. Everyone I know who's been successful, whether it was Bobby Brown, who started by making one lipstick color and selling it to her friend, right? Like, and started to like give it to friends and see what they thought. And what do you like? And what color would you want? Oh, you want colors that are actually lip colors. That's interesting. Oh, what a cool idea, right? Let me hold, let me build an entire brand around that. Fascinating, you know? So it's not about, and this is what's also just so striking is that you don't need to have 600,000 followers or 15 million people who know you to be successful. If you, let's say, have a product that you sell for 50 bucks and you sell that product to 15 people every week, you're making $750. So the thousand loyal customers. Mm-hmm. Right. Concept. Right. This concept. If you have a product that's 50 bucks and you're selling it to 30 people a week, that's $1,500 a week. That's $6,500 a month. And now if you backtrack that and you'd be like, okay, so I can just start really getting clear working this concept with the people who it's for and you begin there, right? You start there and it's just amazing where that can grow. It's just amazing. And then the next thing I would say to them is who already has your audience, right? Like if you have this incredibly curated line of all these indie farm to table maple syrup uh, packs or bottles or whatever, like that's the thing that you've been curating. So who sells pancakes? You know, do you want to go to a few local, really cool boutique brunch places and see if they might want to like sell those, right? In a beautiful packaging. Do you want to go to a couple bloggers who are like obsessed with like, you know, all kinds of like waffles? Is there like a, is there like a specialty waffle sort of like kiosk? I, I know of one right now in Century City Mall. They just make waffles. Like, do they have six stores? Do you want to partner with them? Do you want to do a pop-up in their store? Like your audience already exists. You do not have to reinvent the wheel, but you can start small because you have to anyway and validate the concept and get feedback from the people who would, who would want it. And it's you'll be blown away how quickly you can start to make $750 a week right? It's actually not so difficult. I have a friend who she's vegan and she decided to see if she could make vegan corned beef and she did and it was good. So she lives in Calabasas and she took it to the Calabasas commons and she took, her husband videoed it and she asked people, do you want to try my corned beef sandwiches? And people thought it was real corned beef. And she's like, guess what? It's plant-based. 
And she worked on it a little bit to get the texture and the color to look like corned beef because it tasted Ugh. like it right away. <laughs> um, <laughs> Respect, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and she wound up uh, then thinking like, oh, I wonder who already has my audience. So she walked into all the delis in LA, Factors, Cantors, Arts, Izzy's. And one by one, they said, we'll start by buying like 10 pounds of it. And guess what? People loved it. It was a good value add for them because she pitched it like, which everyone who's listening should always pitch the value add, right? Yep. Like, how does this serve you? If I have maple syrup, well, that might be something extra cool that you wouldn't right. have thought to have to make. But I, so she went in saying like, you probably have vegan customers and maybe they want to see that you care about that, you know, that part of the clientele. Anyway, it took off and now she's like, Wow. Got these reorders in like, it started with like five stores. Then she went to like, where else do people already eat? Dodger Stadium, Arclight Cinemas. She's now selling like a thousand pounds at $10 a pound a week. And so she wow. has a co-packer and she literally started five months ago. Like this business is five minutes old, but it started wow. with she and I having these conversations. Where does your audience already exist? And I mean, her and her husband are keep having these like fantasy conversations about where they're going to move in the next two years <laughs> when this becomes like, you know, seven or eight zeros. It's not so difficult. And people would be amazed like, oh, she barely has a social media footprint. Yeah, because it's so not about that, right? Start with the people in your neighborhood. Yeah. I think, I don't know if it's, if people are worried, this is the thing. It's like, if you're, I don't know if people are worried about validating business ideas because they're worried about the feedback, which puts them in a, a hole anyway. So if you are someone that has a business idea and then you're worried about getting that business idea validated through feedback and you don't want to ask people, then that's going to stop you right away. And you're going to continue to ideate and create logos and create websites. Oh, and and I've said that all the death. time. I'm forget like, that website. Literally, forget it. the name, forget the tagline, the colors, who cares? I know. Forget getting the Instagram handle. And that's what we've done really well is we've built this as it's been moving and we've responded to feedback. What You guys want more events? We'll do more events. You guys want more access to each other through an ambassador program? We'll do that. And we've really responded to the feedback of our community and what they want. And I feel like when we work with new podcasts that are starting podcasts, it's so much the intention of monetizing or being heard, period, which there is value in that. And there is something beautiful about the being heard and monetizing at some point. But if you're not unafraid to see if there is a niche in the market through validating your idea or concept, then you're never, it's never going to go anywhere. It's so true. And that's why you both are so successful because the number one reason people don't have what they want they don't do enough about it. They just 100. keep talking mm -hmm. about it yep. and they just keep overanalyzing it. Or making excuses. It. Oh, that person is this, that person is that. We had someone that messaged us the other day that was like, it was really complimentary, but it was kind of like a backhanded compliment. It was like, you guys are so amazing. I love you listening to you so much. I'm actually 40. And when I first saw you, I was like, what can these rich girls tell me about Oof. my life? Which yep. is not true. First of all, I've, I've never been, you know, it's not true, but it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, like that, that almost stopped you from yeah, this message and information, right. mm -hmm. your yeah. concept and idea around yep. who we are, yep. you yep. know what yep. I mean? And I think, and that just goes in line to, and that almost stopped you like being like, oh, they're rich. They won't understand me. And people do, oh, you know, they have something, they, they don't get it. Their parents were yeah. rich. They came from this area. They live in this city. Oh they God. do this thing. They are this person. Right. And that's sort of like the barrier to them it's getting what story, they want. Right? Because it robs them of having to take any accountability. Mm -hmm. Some people are lucky. Some people aren't. You yep. got helped. You got dealt good hand and I yep. didn't. I, 
when I was starting with um, my publisher, Macmillan, to write my book, one of my editors, not to throw under the bus, but she's like, I have to tell you, you know, I know the other editor loves this, but I think you're just like privileged. And I think that people who read this are going to feel really offended, actually, that you make it sound so easy. And I said, that's fascinating. You know, like my mom tried to commit suicide my entire life multiple times. I had to like call an ambulance and put her in a 5150 hold. As my dad walked out, I was alone with her. We were living in an apartment and I worked two jobs since I could bike to a job. My husband's dad died when my husband was 13. My husband slept on the floor of his mother's rent-controlled apartment where she still lives and took the bus till he was 24, put himself through law school. Uh, and I was, I'm telling her this and she like still, it was like impenetrable. Like she just yeah. had this idea. Yep. I'm like, how many Oprah stories do you need to hear? Like this girl grew up in Mississippi. Like where, where does it, it actually makes me so angry because everyone deserves to hear that it is a hundred percent possible and there is a hundred percent room for you. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. your actually, your brokenness, everything you've been through only makes you more of a candidate to do things for other people. I had Adam Grant on my podcast. He's so great. Yeah, he's the best. He's so smart and so kind for mm. being so smart. And he said something, and it really struck me. He said, Kathy, you don't have to say something new if you say something true. And I thought, yes, that's such a good line. People think like, no way, you know, like, what do I have to offer? This People all day long are scrolling, right? They're scrolling, looking for content, looking for things to listen to, to watch. What are they actually looking for? To not feel alone, to feel like something about them is actually okay and normal. So they can't hear it enough. If you're yet another girl who struggled with her body image and you want to talk about it, say it again. We cannot hear it enough. If you're Mm. another person who, God forbid, you went through molestation or your parents got divorced or you bid on your own, it doesn't matter. Or even if you have a really nice childhood and you went to private schools and you felt sort of like empty because you had all this stuff, say it again. It doesn't matter if it's been said. It doesn't matter whether you grew up wealthy or you grew up poor. Everyone has been broken. Everyone has been through something. Everyone has something to teach. My sister and I grew up in the same house. We are sisters who are three years apart. We have completely different perspectives. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you live the same life. Your DNA is different. The way you internalized it was different. The way you, you're messaging about it, you can never hear it again enough. It doesn't matter if there's already three other graphic designers. No one's you. So good. We live in a time where it makes it so easy, right? You don't need to be the person who... Everyone knows. I find it fascinating, actually, especially with the podcast. I'm sure you have this every day. I will meet people in my DMs who are like, hey, I'd love to be on your show. I've never heard of them. I click on their thing and I'm like, you have 1.9 million followers and I don't know you. Where do I live? It's like, no, because there's so much room. There's seven and a half billion people on the planet. And guess what? You need to be in smaller tribes, right? So we kind of need to find our groups and our people. And it makes sense that people would listen to your show and some people would listen to my show and maybe they listen to both and that's fine, but there's so much room. And so, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And the trick to all of it is build the engine while you're flying the plane. Like be so busy doing stuff and throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what's going to stick that you don't even remember that this door didn't open or this person didn't call you back. Mm -hmm. You're so busy ideating and coming up with the next possible thing you can do and listening to your audience and trying this and trying that and just seeing what's going to work that you're not even 
stuck on what didn't. I think that if you listen, I mentioned Elon Musk before because he has had so many epic failures and so did Steve Jobs. And those are just good examples because they're like so iconic. But most successful people, you know, people will call out, well, this person, you know, they struggled in this area. It's like, right, because they're always doing constantly. Like that is the, that that's the the default. So of course, that's the sign of a success. Like there's going to be 16 things that didn't work. I've had so many projects that didn't work that were almost, but it's just like, it wasn't even, it was an un- unrelenting moving forward and doing the next thing. And if you can do that, if you can write down every day, what are three things I can do and then actually do them, you're going to see momentum spring everywhere just from taking action. But it takes massive action. And the only way we can take action is when we're in a really lit up state of mind. Because people think that productivity and taking action, that in order to do that, you need more hours in the day. In order to do that, you need to you know, sleep well, eat the right food, not have three kids. You need more of something. You need more of something. Really, all you need more of is that state of mind because there are moments in your life, everyone listening can think of a moment where you didn't get enough sleep, you didn't have enough time, and you were so on fire that you ripped the face off of whatever this goal was. You just crushed it. And it's because of where you were at in your mind. So that's the biggest thing here is like, listen to shows like this, get yourself fueled just the way you, Everyone knows what percentage their iPhone is on at all times. Like, what are your batteries on right now? Seven? Charge that crap. You know what I mean? Like, don't let, don't just go through the day on seven and like hope you're going to get inspired. It's like, forget it. Every day, get ahead of that. Plug it in. What do you need to plug it in? Listen to a show, write it down, take the takeaways, take a run. Like, that's got to be, that's got to be every day, you know? And then from that place, you won't even be you won't even notice you don't have the time. You won't even notice you don't have the money. It's like your mind just goes, you have four minutes, send that person the email. You don't have the perfect thing to attach to it, send it anyway. Like, let's go. But actually don't send it to me because it'll piss me off if, <laughs> if it doesn't have the fucking attachment. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wanted to comment on, you know, what your what that editor said. And it, it just made me think about like. You know, and and I think we see this, especially like in the political climate when people are running for president and all this stuff where it's just like we're we're separating each other still and we're separating uh, each other in these conversations where so she's exhausting. like, she's like, you're privileged. I wasn't uh, like, there's this thing. And it's like, it's how totally do identity politics? People just argue their faces off. I'm like, yeah, you could be busy like dancing right now. Like you could be busy doing the thing you want to do. And I, that's my political message is always like, if everyone today got up and did more of the thing that they're supposed to add to this tapestry that mm. they and only them can add to the world, you wouldn't have time to argue and the world would be better. Yeah. I also just think, too, and it makes me think of like just people being born into any circumstance, whether they're born into the wealthiest family in the United States or they're born into yeah. poverty, whatever it is, like... I just, I try to remind myself constantly because I will trip up. I will kind of be like, oh, they have a million followers. Well, their dad was someone. You know what I mean? Like we all have those thoughts, but you know, it's, it's so purposeful. Like wherever we land on this earth at this time, like there's so much purpose there. And for people not to, to, to recognize that for themselves, you know, I think is instead of, you know, 
myself being like pissed off that they made a comment and just like, oh wow, they haven't like realized yet that like where they are is exactly where they're meant to be and in those circumstances and they can make an impact however big or small. It doesn't really matter. 100%. We had this awesome girl on the show. Her name is Emily Esfahani Smith and she did a TED talk on, uh, it's called Why Happiness is Overrated. And she went to Harvard and studied happiness basically. And she grew up in the, uh, in a Sunni home her parents are really religious uh, Sunni Muslims. And when she was in college, she's like, oh, I don't want to be religious. I just want to kind of like chill. And so she studied, you know, what makes a person happy. And she realized that nobody's seeking happiness because happiness actually is not something that you get to keep, right? It's like, you might be happy for 45 yeah, minutes to and work then something out it, yeah. comes along and you're like, oh, now I feel depressed. So it's really not about happiness. So what is it? The things that people really, really crave are four things, which all sort of sum up to be a sense of purpose. It's this feeling of meaning, contribution, transcendence, and belonging. That's what she said. So mm. when she, she said, when you wrap that all up, it's really purpose. And she goes, I look back and see how my parents, that's why they're happy because their community, it gives them all those things, right? Belonging, transcendence, meaning, purpose, all that stuff. So literally they've done these studies with people over a lifetime. You know, they have this incredibly long study going on at Harvard. It's like an 80 year old study. And they've been watching all of these people and they're studying their white blood cell count, like trying to see what makes a person really live the longest and be the most fulfilled. And it isn't happiness and it's not the amount of people you reach and it's not the amount of money you make. And we hear this and it goes in one ear and out the other, but it really is feeling like you are contributing. And what that means is you showing up in the world, doing something that you know that you can offer and someone receiving it, right? That feels so good. That's why when people who love to do stand up, they'll be like, I hate going up because I get so nervous. But when I come off, I just feel so good. Like, mm -hmm. I made all these people laugh. I know that's my thing. It's just like a rush. I know as myself, as I'm a singer songwriter for years, like when I would get up and play, it was just like a drug. It was like the, the ability to give that to someone else and make them feel something is such a gift. And we had this girl on my show who you guys probably know, Morgan Harper Nichols. Oh, I don't know. That's a gift now that oh. you know who she is. She's so great. She lives in Orange County. She's African-American. She used to be um, touring with her sister in a band. And then she was sort of like broke. And she came home one night years ago. I think it was like three and a half years ago. And she's like, I don't know what where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do. And she wrote this poem and she put it on Pinterest. And she had like 16 people following her. And it was something that said something like, you know, when you reach this point and you've gone through so many dark nights and you've crossed so many mountains and rivers, like, like don't forget what got you here and keep going. Something like that. She posted it. And the next day her friend was like, that's so beautiful. Can you write something like that again? And she said, I don't know. I mean, it just came from this moment where I was just feeling so, I just felt like it came out. So I'd have to be inspired. And then she had this brilliant idea and she went on her Instagram, which had like no followers and said, and she said, if you're out there and you're listening, send me anonymously a story, something that you're going through right now, heartbreak, something you're celebrating, something you're questioning, and I will uh, write a poem for you and I'll post it anonymously. And every day she got these emails and she posted for one person, just for one person, what she felt she would say to that person if they were sitting beside her. And it's beautiful. And of course, in a year and a half, her Instagram grew to like 650,000 and the rest is history. And she's making incredible, you know, amounts of money because she's doing art installations. 
mm. art installations and she sold a book. And I mean, she's, and she was like, I said, what do people do when they want to have more followers, when they want to make a bigger impact? And she's like, whatever you do, like t- today, this week, ground yourself and find three people you can do that for. Like, do you love to bake? Like bake it and send it to like drop it off at someone's house. Mm. Like write that song for someone because that's ultimately what you're seeking anyway. Like it gets to a point, you know this, I'm sure. Like once you've been featured in Forbes and you have, you hit a million followers, 5 million, whatever. I don't know. I don't feel it the same way anymore. You know, I'm just like, cool. You know, in fact, it's kind of bad. I start to like expect that every day. And I'm like, where's my newest win? I have nothing new to post like that. When's my next big... What really actually makes my heart and my soul feel great is like some human, one person being like, oh my God, it's it's going in. The transaction is happening, right? So that would be my suggestion. Yeah, I completely agree. It's Yeah, I love that every week finding three people, one person like to really share your gift with or interact in a way that's super grounded and connected. For the, so have you, with the title of your podcast, have you had people talk to you about or ask about, because I do wonder about this too, because we, and this is why I'm asking, I'm asking it in a backwards way, but with our journey and our story, we do talk about the entrepreneurial journey and we do talk about quitting. I was working on a corporate job. You were working at um, SoulCycle. And I do wonder about the responsibility that I have to make sure that I'm educating people as much as possible on what realistic quitting looks like and what that transition looks like. How do you talk about that You know, within what you do? Because I do feel like there is such a surgence of the entrepreneur and the entrepreneurial journey that there is a lot of responsibility that needs to be had on the person that is going to leave a job to do all the steps that are necessary mm-hmm. to support them after yeah. after the process. First of all, the thing that I always say is don't take the leap. What you need to do is build a bridge, right? You want to glide in. You don't want to jump off because it actually puts so much more pressure on the dream job that you will probably get defeated and then actually not have the runway you need. So what I say is figure out, just like we talked about before, what are those unsexy but necessary steps to building a business that might look like starting with who it's for, starting to get some feedback, and that you could be doing instead of watching Game of Thrones, right? Like that you should be doing. So let your day job be your investor and now start building out. What is it? Start trying it out. See if this person likes it. Are you opening this like floral design studios? Just start making some stuff and figure out who your client is and start to get some people in place who might be the people you're going to reach out to. Are you reaching out to brides? Are you reaching out to, you know, uh, hotels? Like who's your customer? What do they need? Start to build that. And then, and then see if you can start to make a few sales here and there. And that's what we've seen work really well. We've had thousands actually of our listeners do this where they're listening to the show and they're like, okay, I need to start validating the concept. And first of all, start making something, right? Then make it for someone, find out what they like about it. Then do a little bit of like, okay, weaving in the feedback and then go to the next place, which is like, okay, how would I do outreach to get to more of people like this? You know, if I'm, if I'm putting out uh, content, do I go to certain blogs that might have readers who like this and start to set up a pipeline? If I'm, 
making something for moms? Am I already thinking about local schools where I'm going to go offer a free workshop or like a brunch and a brunch and learn about this topic? Like, where am I going to start to build a little bit more of an audience and test it? You can be doing that right now while you have your day job, which makes it so much easier. It makes your day job actually turn around and you start to value it because you're like, oh, cool. It's giving me, it's the investor to let me do this thing. Especially if you have a job job, which is not the kind of job you have to take home with you. It's even better. It's like, okay, I don't love working at AT AT&T, but it pays the bills and it doesn't have to go in my mind at night. So as soon as I'm out of my shift, I get to put everything into this and AT&T allows me to do that or wherever you're working. That's cool. And then you start to make a few sales. And I think then you can say, okay, I'm ready to go because I've already done that thing. I know who it's for. I know what it is. I've been scrappy, started building it. And I can, I can, I can tell if I now had more time in the day, I know that I would be able to just keep building those, those same things. I'd keep making more stuff. I keep building out the people who would be trying it and testing it. But do that first, right? Get all of that done first. And then I would also say that, from, again, from my at least from my perspective, the idea of don't keep your day job is like a euphemism for do your life's work. And for some people, their life's work is not a job, right? It's like me doing my life's work is showing up more for my elderly parent or me doing my life's work is being involved in my church or whatever. So your job job might be totally fine for you. I just want people to be in alignment with themselves, right? And they actually might already have a job job that they like, but maybe through listening to what I'm saying, they could actually offer more value and maybe move further at their day job. So there's lots of ways to approach it, but I would definitely not say, you know, jump out of the plane. I would say build a build the bridge and and have a parachute. Yeah, completely agree. Mm. Yeah, we talk about it a lot. And when it comes to creativity too, I just kind of want to like loop back on that, like the the ideas that you follow and the ideas that maybe are just kind of fleeting and just for your soul to like do and mm-hmm. let go. Like how have you navigated that with your own creativity? Do Basically you like if like creative Fine. ideas come through and like, you know, if we're in tune, like there's a lot, there's a lot that comes through. We're so stimulated yeah. by social media, by our community, by a piece of art we see, by nature, whatever it is. Like, how do you know what to follow? Like, what does that feel like? I feel like there are just times where you just keep getting this whisper, this like nudge to go do something. And if it, I often think like if you close your eyes and picture yourself doing this thing and it makes your chest feel like expansive Mm. and you just feel like there's like a relief around the feeling of doing it, I think you should do it. You know, there might be other things that come in and you're like, oh, I mean, it'd be fun to like take a ukulele class, but it's not really pulling at me. Usually, like Stephen Pressfield talks about, the thing that you really should do, there's going to be some resistance. Mm. So if you want to do it and you keep coming back to it and then there's resistance around it, you probably should do it. Because if you don't care enough, you won't have resistance. If you care enough, anytime you do anything that's important to you, that you really want to do, there'll be some fear. And that I think is good. Because again, that's what you want to, be doing is those things that help you grow, which is why the fear would come because it's like you're now raising the ceiling on your where you put your limitations or, well, I'm good at podcasting, but can I really write a book? No, forget it. You know, I've decided that this is what I am. This is what I can do. Well, I have this new idea to do this. Okay. Well, if it keeps coming up and I'm afraid of it, I probably should do it. Mm. Yeah, that makes total sense. Just a guess. Mm-hmm. 
want to give love to our corporate, our girls that, that in their day jobs and at work. If someone was in, you know, for a lot of our community, they are women, you know, early 20s, early 30s, early 40s, and they could be at a corporate job that they love sometimes and they don't others. How can they better navigate or learn to be more of themselves in their role and understand if it is something for them? Because I feel like a lot of times women will find either the good parts about what they're doing and sort of attach on to that, say if they were in a job and they're doing really well at work one day and they get feedback and they're like, oh, I like my job. you know. But then the next moment it's like bad feedback or a bad, bad meeting or something like that. How do they navigate those emotional changes and those emotional conversations they're having internally while trying to be like a good employee at their job? Yeah. I think that one thing that has to happen is before you can even understand like what these thoughts are, we need to sort of like reconnect the wire between our heart and our head. I think that we've distanced ourselves a lot from our in our actual inner voice. We've listened so much to what other people want us to be and other people's feedback. So I don't think a lot of people spend a lot of time actually really connected to this is my truth. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because if let's say you went to college, got a corporate job, and now there are days where you like it, days where you don't, you're trying to discern like, yep. it's, it's so, there's so much distance now that's been put between you being in this unleashed part of yourself that it's hard to even know. Like I know people who've been in corporate for so long. My husband was a lawyer in, in in-house counsel for so long and um Disney just bought Fox. So a lot of those people are no longer at Fox, right? And I see it as such a gift for him that he can now I think ask himself what he really wants to do. And the most time he's had off since he started kindergarten, right? Because he went kindergarten, call it right, mm-hmm. college, law school, business school, job is two weeks. So he's like, I just need to get another job. I don't even want to be creative. I don't know why you keep pushing that. Not everybody wants that. I'm like, you don't even know. Like you haven't even, you don't have what to compare it to, right? You just have, so there are some people who are going to come back around to like, no, I just want to build someone else's dream. And I like doing that. Some people do, right? That's one way to make a living is like, I don't want to be a songwriter, but some people want to be an agent for songwriters. They want to be around music, but they don't, they know that's not their thing, but there's a way to be around it, which means maybe working at a label. So yeah, some people are going to be in corporate and have to figure that out. But before you even can know that, you've got to spend some time with yourself. And so I love the Julia Cameron artist way process. I love the idea of writing morning pages every morning to just like, let all those thoughts out. Like, there's a million things you're carrying around. Do you ever even notice that you've been thinking this every single day and you don't even notice because you just don't listen? Or take yourself, like she says, on an artist date once a week. Because when I first used to hear questions like this, I used to think, no, you're right. Some people are creatives. Some people aren't. But she says, have you ever gone to a preschool and seen a three-year-old who doesn't love to paint? Absolutely not. Right? So. What do they all have in common? They're all messy. They have paint on their sleeves, paint in their hair, paint up their nose. And eventually, some of those kids, they get one hit to the jaw and they're out because something happens and they stop letting themselves be messy, right? And those are the people who say, I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll just let you build your thing and I'll work for you, 
right? And so I think there's something probably in there and you might realize you do want a day job, but at a different place, or you might realize you're at the right company, but you want to be doing a different person's job. But in order to get any of that, you're going to need to actually do the work to get inside. And I think that creativity is like sort of a, it is in a way a spiritual practice because if you just let yourself be creative and you take yourself on an artist date to a museum just just to enjoy it, or you decide that you're going to listen to classical music just to listen, or you're going to get some sidewalk chalk or blow some bubbles or just go back to that state where you were a kid and you just would let yourself follow your intuition and do something that made you feel happy. There's going to be so many answers in there. You're going to take a walk without your phone and come home and 30 minutes later be like, I just felt like I needed to let my boss know what I really want to do is, you know, Stacy's job at the organization. I think that's what I really always wanted to do. And I just didn't let them know that because I was scared or maybe I thought because I'm really good at math, I'll be in this department, but really I don't want to be in this department. I'm going to have to take a risk, you know? So all of that's going to have to come from having a process where you spend a little time with yourself. And I think most people, if they're actually being honest, don't spend any time with themselves. I think whenever we have any chance to be alone, we're scrolling on our phone or we're watching TV. So there's no chance, you know? But when you actually crack yourself open, maybe the reason you're avoiding it is because there's some pain there because you got the MBA and took the job because your parents wanted you to. And you really wanted to go to film school, but you didn't think you could make it. So you don't even want to open the door. But maybe it's not so black and white, you know, and maybe you could stay at your job and you don't have to change your entire identity. But maybe you could take a screenwriting class on the side, which would just give you more than you even imagine. And maybe just writing the movie would be enough. And you'd, you'd think to yourself, I'm actually fulfilled just having written it. I don't need to make it into my job. But all of that only comes through, like spend a little time with yourself and then you can kind of evaluate what those thoughts actually mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Last question for me, as a podcast host, an author, entrepreneur, mom, wife, um, what are you today really, really proud of and what are you working on? Mm. Wow. I can think of the what am I working on thing so much faster. What am I really proud of? I'm proud that what I wound up doing in every part of my life is creating a space where people feel welcome and seen. And I think that that's literally now my job, right? It's my job as a parent. It's my job as a wife. It's my job as a friend. And in my work, like that's what I get to do. And that feels so good that that's like, People come to me to be reminded that they're enough, that they don't have to be perfect um, and that they hear it from a really genuine place and they believe it and somehow it gets in. That I make them reconnect with that six-year-old inside of them and stop giving her such a hard time and like bring her to the table and like let her shine because she's so obviously lovable. That's amazing. I'm really proud of that. I always knew I wanted to do that and I didn't know how the hell that would become a thing, right? Like, where do you apply for that? Mm. But the fact that that actually does, did happen, it's pretty cool. 
Um, the thing I'm working on most is anxiety. And where I have it the most is in my marriage. And I actually just learned that there's something called relationship OCD. I'm not joking. I was like, is this a joke? Because my whole life growing up, like I've, I've just been quote unquote fine, right? I don't have ADD. I don't have ADHD. I don't have, I don't have depression. I know people who do. So it's not, even when I'm down, I can't really say I'm depressed. It's not fair to people who really are. Like I just haven't had any clinical things until my therapist was like, okay, so everything you've been describing to me, and I've been in and out of therapy since I'm 15. She's like, that's, it's actually OCD. And I don't wash my hands 15 times or check the locks. There's different kinds of OCD. I literally have relationship OCD, which it's, it's a thing. You can Google it. I, every single thing on there is me. And it's, be, it's not, it's textbook. My dad left when I was a kid. My parents right. had a really mm-hmm. abusive marriage. I watched my mom basically almost die as a result of a divorce. Um, and so I have all of these things. So since I've been in relationships with guys since I'm 15, like I had a, I had all the like, I had a high school boyfriend, a college boyfriend, a boyfriend after college, then one other boyfriend, then my husband. So I've been like pretty monogamous, but like I've literally every chapter, there was a guy, right? fun, good times, love all these people, had long relationships with them. In every one of these relationships, it's a nonstop. Is it, am I in the right place? Is, does he see me? Does he get me? Oh my God, what about, oh, I'm fine for an hour, two hours later. Am I not fine? I don't know if I'm fine. Like, that's crazy making. And I've always just thought mm-hmm. like, oh, it's just a relationship. It's just this. It's actually, I now know that it's... um it's something else because when it happens to me, I get so spun, I get so anxious and I start being really compulsive and that's being just completely 100% honest. Like that's, boy, do I wish I could make that fly away. But for some reason, it's like maybe a survival skill or something. So it's very, when it happens, it's like phys- like physically I'm not, like physically I'm not okay when that's happening to me. So I'm hoping, I'm really just like hoping and working on making that go away. I feel like I'll have so much more energy for my life yeah. when that's gone. Yeah. But I don't know if it's ever gone or if you, anyway, so I'm working on it. Mm. Yeah. Thank and there's something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which I just started. Cause I, I always just did like good therapy, right? Where you'd find like an expensive, good therapist who you think knows cause she's so expensive. Um, and that's been fine, but it's cool to have a CBT therapist who's like, okay, let's look at the thought and then let's like figure out a new pattern. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see how that, I'll, I'll, I'll check in with you in a few weeks, let you know how it's going. Yeah, I'm truly. that you, you were able to, to, to determine what that was. Yeah, I was literally like at a point where I like dropped to my knees. Oh, I was in my closet. makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I just begged God, I was like, and I don't pray. I should. I think prayer probably helps, but it's never had that growing up. Maybe I should start. And I, I dropped to my knees and I was like, God, if you're there, please help me. Like, I have a life that I want to enjoy and it doesn't let me, right? And I have a really kind husband and three beautiful kids who I went through 14 rounds of fertility treatment to have. And we bought this beautiful Cape Cod house in the most pretty part of LA. And that was built through all of this effort. And my career is great. 
and I'm not able it's and it goes deep. It's like it's almost like you don't feel deserving of what you have because you have to find some way to suffer so you can't even like bear you know, it's almost like, oh, am I really worthy of this person's love and this career? So I have, it's just enough already. And it's amazing to me because I meet so many successful people and they might not have the kind of OCD that I have, but people have so many interesting ways of keeping themselves from enjoying their life. And it goes deep. I mean, it's fascinating, but yeah, Mm. I'm very grateful that I finally can see that it's a thing. Because up until now, nobody was brave enough to tell me that it was a thing. I don't think mm. any therapist wants to tell you you have OCD. Really? Yeah. They, I they would wanna, feel like that would be their absolute Their go-to. Job. Yeah. <laughs> I think I outsmart a lot of people too. Uh, yeah, that would, that would Very to together. Yeah. <laughs> Quote, unquote. I would spend yeah. thousands to manipulate them. Thank you for sharing that. That's mm-hmm. really beautiful. And I think that the the piece that you talk about is something I've been thinking about lately too, as we've grown this into to my dream. And it's, you know, a dream that I didn't have, but has been realized that we do always find the thing that will keep us from the bliss, from the joy, the email, the bill, the annoying conversation, the Instagram thing, like whatever it is. And it's tragic. And I think that it's so important as like a spiritual hygiene to recognize that and to kind of make sure to mitigate against that, mm. you know, within your life. Because if you are not enjoying it, you are denying the divine and the beauty and all of the great things that you've been given. And I think it is challenging to sit there in a beautiful home with a beautiful family and a, a great relationship and to be like, fuck, you know, cause I look around too. I'm like, wow, they're here I am. I'm like, um, there's a lot of people. I'm always like, well, there's a lot of people that deserve this. Why me? Why me? Why me? You know, and we can't understand everything. And our best bet is just to be grateful even when we can't. The other day I was like, I do this all the time where I'll be driving in my car and blasting some really great song. Mm. And like 15 seconds later, I'm like so in it. And I, and I, it feels good. You get like a rush of dopamine and you're happy, right? And then as soon as I notice that I'm happy, I'll be like, oh my God, that's so stupid. Like, who am I to dance Mm -hmm. in my car? Like, that's so dumb. Mm -hmm. Like, why did I, maybe I shouldn't be this happy. Like, it's just a normal Tuesday. And it's amazing how that comes around, that that self-conscious. Like, I think, you know, growing up, we saw that modeled for us. You know, don't be too happy. You'll lose it. Everything will go. Or... Someone else isn't happy. Your mom's not happy. Your sister's not happy. Why are you so happy? You know, and it's just like ridiculous. It's like we have such a short amount of time here and we should just allow ourselves to, you know, lift our face to the sun and like enjoy it. It's such a gift. And I posted this the other day, my friend, Emily McDowell, she's in Bali right now. And she posted on her Instagram something like, uh, we're not employees of the universe and God's not tracking your vacation days. Like let yourself be happy. And I reposted it and it was so triggering to some people. They're like, that's not true. You know, when I went to church growing up, mm-hmm. I was told like, you need to be in service and this and that. And I was like, I'm not disagreeing with you, but maybe the best way to be in service is to fill up your own cup because now you have so much to reverberate when you walk down the street. Like maybe before you go try to save the oceans, save yourself, you know, make yourself really lit up. And then maybe that will affect 
your kids, your husband, your neighbor, the people who you come into contact with, maybe it'll give them permission to take care of themselves. Maybe then you won't have to argue so much over who voted for who, because it won't matter. Mm -hmm. Like if everyone just could take care of themselves better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you can do both. You can do, you can take care of yourself and take care of others. And I think it's how it goes. It's so much like undoing. Cause I think our parents' generation, and this is a blanket statement, but like, think that it has to be hard. It has to be straight faced. It has to be head down. And this is just my experience where like, that's how you get to where you, that's where you get to the goal, to the success, to the money, to the, to that bliss, quote unquote. But like, so I, I do find myself like if I'm around or at home, like I do find myself, I feel my face. I'm not like smiling as much. I'm kind of like, I want to look like I'm more, uh, more serious than I am. Like, being happy would mean I'm not working hard enough, being happy. So I hope that I I need to like for my kids, like being able to use the joy and the happiness and being present in the moment as like the way, you know, instead of feeling like head down, serious, like got to be miserable, got to sacrifice is the only way. The people that I know in my life right now who are really successful they always, like my friend Laura Belgray, she does the copy cure with Marie Forleo. Mm -hmm. She's like, if I ever look at my schedule and there's a lot on it, I think, oh, you're really failing. She's like, I didn't want to be in this place to be busy. Oh, wow. She's like, let's keep it lean. (laughs) And if it's not lean, she's like, I'm probably going to be leaving a lot of success on the table. Mm -hmm. Let it be easy. Wow. My friend Susie Moore, she said that she actually Googled, what do you do when you have too much free time? Because- her version of being successful is like, there should be a lot of free time. And yeah, like maybe just maybe being successful is not being run ragged. Maybe it's having lots of money, right? Whereas like people are like, money is like the root of all evil. It's stressful. It's hard. You have to work hard. Maybe it's let it be easy. And then that's when it flows better. I don't know. I just find yeah. that's probably mm-hmm. the truth. You know? Who was it? Uh not, I don't know if it was Chris Saka, Seth Godin, or one of one of those type, those amazing people that was on Tim Ferriss, and he said that he literally has like one thing on his schedule a week. He's like, I spend most of my time sitting on the ground with my son, coloring, you know, doing that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I think too, it's really important as far as the last point, as far as the money, you know, as it relates to money, it's like, of course you want money, but it doesn't need to be 50 billion zillion dollars to have the ability and flexibility to like have the free time. It can be a sustainable amount of money that gets you to the point where you can allow and allot the freedom in your schedule. You know, you don't need to be at the, the whatever amount that people sometimes assume or think. I told my, mm-hmm. my sister, she went to NYU for theater and she's been struggling to be an actress for a long time, which is a whole nother episode. <laughs> um, but I said to her, you know, if you, if you decided to teach an acting class or a playwriting class. And you had, I told her what I said to you, like you charge 50 bucks for the class and you have two classes of 15 people, right? So 30 students and you do those two classes back to back. That's 1500 bucks a week, right? That's $6,500 a month. You could spend the rest of your week auditioning. She hasn't taken me up on it. Of course. When I started out and I was writing music, and I was just like trying to get a record deal. And then I got one, then I got dropped. Then I was, should I tour? 
I realized that if I could license a few songs, like literally one song a year to McDonald's, then it would allow me the freedom. And so I was like, I'm going to make that my customer Mm -hmm. and figure out with radical empathy what they need, blah, blah, blah. I did that whole thing. And that's actually how I started. I started, I remember that when it really started to click, my first license was 25,000. And then in that year, I got like six more. I remember turning around being like, that's crazy. Like I wrote a few songs, which I liked doing anyway, that, that day writing, it was fun. And now I'm making 250 a year because that's how it started for me. And yeah, I had tons of free time. And even in LA where things are expensive, 250 grand goes a long way. And so is a hundred grand. I mean, you could have a lot of free time, especially if you're doing something you love. And so it's really, it is an all or nothing. You don't have to be like, it's not Beyonce or a bust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something like just to speak about like your sister. It's like, there is just this like inner conflict of letting go of like, no, but I'm, yeah, I'm going to be an actress. You know, it's like, I mean, I've been there where it's like, there is a letting go within the process because maybe it comes back around when she's 40 or 50 and that's the right time. And like, she does classes, like you said, but like to identify then as like a teacher, I think a lot of artists are like, no, I was born this, you know, it's a very interesting. Because I kept adding hyphens to what I did. Like I was a songwriter and I didn't want to be doing anything else. And then I started helping other songwriters and I was an agent for them, still doing my own stuff. I was like, no one's going to take me seriously. I actually only got more work as an artist when I started my agency. Mm. Then I started an online class teaching songwriters how to actually write the kind of work. And that class makes like one and a half million dollars a year, just the class. And it was the class that one of my students said, you should start a podcast because this is so inspiring and this is so not just related to, to artists to musicians. And I started a podcast, which led to a whole nother stream of like crazy opportunities and tons more money. And it was so much resistance for me to be like, yeah, I'm going to add that. How the hell do we know what we're supposed to do? Why do you have to be one thing or another? Why can't it be Mm -hmm. yes and? Mm -hmm. And It doesn't mean that you can't spend the rest of your time building things or making things like I just think. I love that. You're funny because you're like, yeah, there's so much resistance. It's like, you, it doesn't seem like in your path that there's been any resistance. I feel like you've been very attuned to what the message has been and followed that and attuned to your, to your listener and your, your customer it, from my perspective. Yeah, but there's two things like we didn't talk about. One was I got dropped from Interscope and then I got signed to Atlantic and I got dropped. So I got dropped from two labels. That was my first. What does that mean? They signed me and then a few months later, each one was like, the A&R team is not 100% certain that we can sell the record. We don't know for sure that you have an audience. Do they own the music then at that point? Uh, sometimes, some bit, part yeah. of it, yeah. Wow. Um, so that was fascinating. Like I was sitting in Sunset Sounds with Lady Gaga recording. She was recording Paparazzi and I was there to watch it. And I was like, I'm arrived. And I was 24 wearing true religion jeans and like- As you totally. do. As you do. As you do. <laughs> and I got dropped. Rhinestones on the bitch. No yeah. way. So that was the first big thing. And then I I got a bunch of day jobs and tried to live a normal life and couldn't handle it until I went back into music and writing music for film and TV. But then I had another big drop, which was I, um, I had a television show. I had a whole deal and we shot the pilot. I was going to have my own show, uh, which was me hosting. And um, it was the, the Jim Henson company created it with me. And uh, it seemed like a, for sure, um, like I had a contract, you know, and then we went to every network 
They wanted a pilot. We shot it. And every network in the end was like, no, this is just not, it's not interesting enough. It's not entertaining enough. Um, and I'd written all this music for it. And it was just like, it was no, it was no. So that was a no. I mean, there's been no's along the way. So we're just talking about the yeses, but there have been yeah. no's. There was even a point when I started the show. Where but the, you're trying. That's the point. Like with all of these, yeah, you yeah. haven't stopped trying. No, never stopped. You know, and that's the huge differentiator between your story and someone else's. Dropped once, all right, I'm out. Dropped twice, all right, I'm out. Pilot's not picked up, all right, I'm out. You know what I mean? It was never the lack of try. Yeah. That got you to where you are. Bill Burr has a great line, which is, he's like, I've seen enough Toyota Camrys to know that most people give up on their dreams. And he's like, <laughs> he goes, people, people are like, how did you get to be where you are? He's like, you know, it's not an overnight success. It was like a 27 year, tiny incremental climb, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and he's the funniest mm-hmm. MFR. I mean, I've seen him so many times live, but <laughs> it's just called like, you know, get to work, get to work. Yeah. Totally. yeah. This was fun. This was was a blast. Where can our community connect with you? Um, You can find my podcast on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't keep your day job. You can find me on Instagram at kathy.heller. Kathy's with a C. Um, My book is coming out in the next couple months and you can buy the audio version, which I just recorded, or you can buy whatever version you want, wherever you want to buy it. And if you do buy it, I'm doing a free week uh, workshop, like a whole immersion cool. online, which cool. goes through everything I care about in the book, which comes for free when you pre-order it. So they should go check it out because it's a 15 bucks to get a free week workshop with me live. It's pretty Love cool. Love that. Awesome. Genius. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye, Bye everyone. Thank you so much to Kathy. You can listen to her podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job, anywhere podcasts are released. We love this pod. It's kind of a a constant in my rotation, but thank you for coming on. She's super inspirational, funny. And if you'd like to learn more about her, don't keep your day job dot com. Thanks, Kath. You're the best. Let's do our sweet little review of the week. Thanks guys for being so kind and taking a moment to support this free content from the book podcast. And this is a beautiful paragraph. So makes my commute a blast. Five stars. Growing up, I was always very close to women. My mom, my older sister, my closest friends, etc. And a couple years ago, I started living with my now fiance. Although I love my life and I'm so blessed in many ways, there's a part of me that gets really sad and just misses having some type of female connection around all the time. Like the chit chat that happens when you are getting ready together in the mirror or that honest conversation that happens over coffee. This podcast honestly makes my drives home from work and my chores around the apartment feel like I am hanging out with my best friends. If my best friends were suddenly trailblazing conscious lifestyle powerhouses, (laughs) not only do I feel so connected to such empowered and inspiring women, but I learn something new with every episode. I especially love listening to the conversations I don't know if I'd necessarily agree with, like the incredible work a guest of yours does with homelessness on Skid Row. Thank you so much for the work that you do. It is seriously amazing and changing the world with every person that you reach. Almost 30 is opening minds and bringing such a sense of connection and inner peace to so many people. Thank you. That's from Sarah. Thank you so much, Sarah. Literally. That really... I mean, thank you. I really love the part about listening to the conversations that she might not agree with too. I think that's such an important part of this human experience is to listen, recalibrate, understand, seek to know, have compassion. And I just really, really appreciate that. Thank you, Sarah, so much. Um, Thank you guys for writing reviews on iTunes. It means the world. If you could just take a second and do that, we would be very, very grateful. And we will see you on tour the rest of the year. 
And you can check us out at Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram. I am, it's Krista on Instagram. Lindsay is Lindsay Simsick. And you are so loved by the both of us. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye.